Welcome to season six of the RAG podcast. Now, for those of you who don't know, the RAG stands for Recruitment Agency Growth. And this show has been around since early 2019. And every week, we are obsessed with finding out how the world's most successful and innovative recruitment agencies and their founders have got to where they are today. In season six, alongside the founder's story and the inside information of that business, I also want to focus on the reality of today's economy. There is so much noise about this inevitable recession that we find ourselves in right now. And where it's going to go, is it really having an impact on the recruitment sector? Are they seeing any change in job flow? Are they seeing any change in candidate control or activity? What is going on? I want to find out. So every single week, I want to forget the propaganda, forget the noise. I'm going to speak to a real life recruitment owner and find out what is going on in their business. I'll bring it to you every single Wednesday from 12 o'clock across multiple platforms. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the RAG Podcast. On this week's episode, I am super excited to be joined by Edmund Blog. Edmund is the co-founder of a business called Recruit Hub, and they are our newest sponsor. So in 2023, we've partnered with Recruit Hub because I believe we're on a shared mission. These guys are leading business as a service accelerator for startup recruitment businesses. So ultimately, they provide new founders with a, the infrastructure to run the business from day one and to allow them to build. So they register the company, they build the website, the tech stack, they take care of all the finance, back office. They don't charge for startup costs. They don't charge monthly bills. They don't charge you anything until you make money. Um, and I know loads of people who've been on the show, who I know in my network, who are clients of mine that have done amazing things with Recruit Hub. So I wanted to get Edmund on because Edmund started his, his career in recruitment and had a really, really decorated career, ran an organization globally, and then started Recruit Hub four years ago. They now have 60 businesses in their portfolio, and they reckon they're going to reach 100 at the end of the year. In this episode, you're going to learn loads about startup recruitment businesses, but also the scale and exit planning. We're going to talk about why he spotted this opportunity, what's different about these guys to others on the market, and uh, some really useful tips and information for you in 2023. So, super smart guy. There's no um, there's no surprise the business is going so well. I can't wait to not only release this episode, but partner with him. So, without further ado, Edmund, welcome to the RAG podcast. Thanks, Sean. Pleasure to be here. No, it's a pleasure to have you on. I'm uh, I'm excited. I'm delighted to have you on board. Um, and as a sponsor as well, the Recruit Hub, as a, as the newest, freshest sponsor of the show, I thought it'd be fitting to get you on as an episode and talk about you and the brand and and what you know what we can do together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, delighted to to talk it all through. Wicked. Well, look, I've done you a very, very, very brief overview there. Um, without, I always say to my guests, you know, I can't do it justice. So. Could you kick us off with just a bird's eye view of who you are and who Recruit Hub is right now? I'll go into the past after, but just the kind of high level numbers, et cetera, of who you are today. Yeah. So, so I suppose like where I am at the moment, you know, obviously co-founder of Recruit Hub, um, set it up with my business partner uh, about four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the business is essentially an accelerator platform for recruitment startups, early phase recruitment ventures. Um, so, so we basically partner with typically experienced recruiters or recruitment managers who are who are sort of taking the step of building their own venture for the first time. They build on our platform. Um, and uh, yeah, I suppose, you know, f- for us as a business at the moment, we support in the region of about 60 um, businesses or so the oldest business on our platform is a little bit over three and a half years old. 
sort right. of early early beta customer, um, up to about 60 on the platform and, and adding obviously a lot of businesses um, on, on a regular basis. I think we're probably forecasting this year, we'll, we'll probably as a minimum be be running at another sort of 100 plus by the end of this year as well. Wow. So yeah, so busy times, um, but um, yeah, in, in a nutshell, that's where we're at. Incredible. And that, you know, that, that fits so well with this show because a lot of the people who listen to the to the show are either in the very early stages of growth or quite often they're not even there yet. They're still working for firms and they think, you know, they, they, they want to listen to this to give them the inspiration to go and do their own thing. Um, it's mad because, I, I, you know, I started the RAG in 2019. It's four years ago. I got the, everyone's emailing me today or LinkedIn messaging me today, happy anniversary. I'm thinking, well, for what? And I've realized I've got, the rag on my LinkedIn and it's four years in today, I think when I, when I, when I set it up. So um, mid January, 2019, that's gone so fast. But the reason I really wanted to create the show was for that very reason. Cause in 2016, when I was launching Hoxo, originally the recruitment company, I just had no guidance. You know, I, I had my bosses that were brilliant, but I couldn't talk to them. I couldn't ask them questions. And I remember, like, I mean, we didn't even end up launching the recruitment firm in the end, but part of that was probably because lack of support guidance, just me and my business partner and another guy who was originally setting up with us, banging our heads against the brick wall, I kind of led me to different thoughts. Whereas if I'd have had that kind of consistent episode every week, I think I'd have gone and done it. Like, there's no doubt. I'd have probably done it faster as well. I probably would have had the confidence to do it earlier. So, you know, what you're trying to do and the, and the advice I'm giving, I think, tease up really well so how what i'd like to do is get understand a bit more about you though because i've looked on your linkedin obviously we've been speaking quite regularly um you did start your career as a recruiter right is that is that the was that yeah where it all right. began? yeah what yeah. when was yeah. it this was 2008 uh yeah it would have been 2008 2009 yeah 2008 probably so yeah right in the middle of the global financial or right at the beginning of the crash that's it yeah yeah i storm pretty much recruit? Uh, so we, we were super niche at the time. We were recruiting basically in professional translation. So right. so there's there's a there's a there's a sort of whole, uh, well, you know, pretty significant multi-billion-dollar industry around adapting products and services and content for obviously in you know, a bunch of different uh, language regions. That was our niche to kick off with. Um, but yeah, we yeah we we joined the recruitment industry bang in the middle of that period. And how was that as an introduction to a to a career <laughs> yeah it was it was I, I suppose you know it was it was it was good in a way you know because obviously there was a lot of pressure but at the same time you know that the, the early focus was you've got to hunt for opportunity you've got to hunt for who's hiring you've got to qualify you've got to make sure you're you know spending time wisely and obviously those are lessons that even in you know more buoyant times are tremendously sort of valuable to picked up as working practices so we scraped through and and carried on growing and what made you become a recruiter? What was the attraction to the job? So, so initially, I think I, but so my background, I studied languages at university originally. Mm -hmm. And so obviously there was, there was this sort of interest in the languages space. Didn't, didn't necessarily want to be a translator or, or, or actually work. Directly. What languages do you speak? French and Spanish took, right. took, took the easy route. Did the two yeah, yeah. are most likely. Are you, fluent, are you fluent in both or? Uh, I was I was fluent in French a while ago. I've spoken French for a long time. Um, I'm married to uh, my wife from South America, so we, right. we speak a fair bit of Spanish. So yeah, kind of takes over. Pretty cool. Um, my, bro my brother's having a baby in Peru in the next couple of months, so oh, wow. uh, he's going through a similar situation. He doesn't speak a word of it. He's just starting to learn now. Um, yeah. It's uh, it's one of them. I mean, times I in Peru right now. 
Oh yeah, well he's right near Cusco, which is where all the all the riots are. He's in a place called the Sacred Valley, right near Cusco. Oh, wow. so he's, yeah, he's he's they're pretty worried because his partners they host like retreats, like yoga retreats and stuff, and that's what she yeah. does. They have a retreat kicking off at the end of January, which doesn't look likely now because people can't you can't fly into Cusco, you can't get out of there. It's like COVID lockdowns, but because of riots. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's it's a shame. It's pretty. I mean, it's it's just such a volatile, yeah, region, right? But um, mm. yeah, I think I think you know, you know, I'm sure I'm sure he'll 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 pick some up. I think if you're in a kind of, you know, multilinguistic relationship, it, it it's really helpful if you can yeah. even speak a little bit of each other's languages. Well, kind of I, my ex was Turkish. She was with for six years, so she was born in England, but she was brought up in a Turkish household, and so I, I learned a lot, and then um. I'm I'm basic, but I'm good basic, if you know what I mean. Like my, my yeah. understanding's stronger than I can speak. Yeah. And now, you know, I got married to my current wife in Turkey and, and I was, you know, talking it all the time. And <laughs> you know, I love it. I actually it's a random language that probably is pointless unless I go out for food, but I uh I'm gonna take that one on now. I wanna I wanna become fluent one day. I'm not gonna bother with like trying to learn a different one. To learn French and Spanish must be must be a lot of work. Uh, there people pick a lot harder my sister did german and russian which is about 50 times harder yeah, yeah. um but I, I was i was i was very driven by travel like french you yeah. can travel not just to yeah. france but obviously there's canada there's all sorts of other regions yeah. there's west africa as much and spanish is you know pretty much you can go yeah. from yeah or anywhere in the american continent spain all that sort of stuff so yeah, it's, yeah, been yeah. Good, it's been good it's been good for being able to get out and move around and chat to people yeah. so you you must have seen an advert about recruitment in languages and that's what got you into it exactly that and 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 basically i think the real driver for me was um i was i was really looking for something entrepreneurial wanted to build something wanted to be involved in growing something and this was you know ground up first first hire um and so it was completely blank canvas you know the only way is up we've got to grow this thing so you were Uh, that was was a real attraction yeah exactly that yeah yeah what was that like that's fantastic. It was really yeah. good. It was, it, was, yeah, it was really fun. It was really enjoyable because it was just everything was about growth. And there was a totally blank. It was a huge, you know, inspiration for obviously what we're doing now is that mm. the energy of thinking there is nothing that you've got to go and try and re-engineer. It's just go and build it from scratch yeah, in yeah, every yeah. conceivable area, you know, from your processes to your brand to your technology mm. usage everything is 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 there. It's it's very energizing to come into a business environment where you feel like there is constant excitement because there is so much track to lay uh, and that was really the thing for me that was was appealing was yeah obviously the recruitment side of it got to master it got to you know be able to uh earn your stripes but then beyond that it was the excitement of thinking you know we're gonna build something uh, i think, was, was I think you're right you're, you're absolutely right it's either it either makes you or breaks you that that entrepreneurial opportunity in a recruitment firm like for me i was quite similar but my my first job was randstad though so it wasn't very entrepreneurial it was you're joining the second biggest company in the world. You're walking into a skyscraper and it felt like you were joining like suits or something. Um, yeah. And then I landed in London thinking I knew about recruitment and joined a seven man startup where it was fucking completely different. And I, and that experience was what made me, I believe. And, you know, I sort of totally, totally preferred the start, the smaller boutique access to the founder, you know, sat, five yards away like I loved all that whereas you didn't get I mean I never I met the CEO of Asia Pack once in a in a boardroom but in Randstad you, you know you're so far removed so you know your experience there would shape I imagine would shape you so much but you said you always wanted to be entrepreneurial where does that come from 
I, I think it's a temperament thing, to be honest. I think it's, in my case, I know, I know loads of people's sort of desires for, for entrepreneurial success are kind of very different. Mm. I think that there was a very, I mean, there's a very strong financial driver right from the start. I, I just wired to feel like I want to just see a direct correlation between how much effort I put into this, the results that I can generate and what's in it for me. That was just something that from day yeah. one thought I'm going to struggle in a, in any kind of an environment where I'm at risk of working really hard and just getting the same reward at the end of the line. Mm. So I wanted to know that was very kind of firmly under my control. So that was a very mm. important kind of driver uh, for, for getting into, I suppose, the industry generally. But then the entrepreneurial piece is kind of part of the same thing, right? You know, you go and build something yeah. more and more valuable and the returns on that are, was are that, good for you. Was that something you saw in family or friends or growing up? Did you Were you surrounded by any entrepreneurial people? Not at all. No, no. Both my parents are just but but they were you know inside other people's organizations their whole working lives say that again um, it, it cut out both your teachers were what sorry both parents are journalists were right. journalists right. yeah right. yeah so no it doesn't come from them but i think i think it is it's i think also it's a temperamental thing i just i've always even like when i was at school felt like i'm going to get bored easily and and that is the ultimate kind of environment to be in we think you, you cannot possibly get bored if you've got the remit and the scope and the resources to go and improve any aspect of what the business is trying to achieve, you know, to an yeah. infinite horizon, right? There's no space for boredom in that environment. So I think it was the, it was the, a blend of finding that was really, that suited my working patterns. It, it was really exciting to be able to get up every day and think you know, there's, there is zero opportunity here to feel any kind of stagnation or frustration because you, you can help to drive this forwards. Yeah. Do you know what? I, I completely empathize with that. I think for me, there was only my stepmom that came into my life when I was in my mid teens that was an entrepreneur and she still is. She's a, she actually works with a lot of our clients in, in, in she's an SEO um, expert, but she, you know, she's the only person I'd seen who'd kind of gone out there and built her own career. Everyone else I knew was just worked in jobs. Right. Um, and when I became a teacher, one thing I didn't ever get was bored. There was always loads to do. Every day was different. It was one of those jobs where there was no clock watching. You were literally like battered daily to get the job done. But I'd had a short spell of working in sales in between uni and teaching where I used to knock on doors and that was the worst job in the world. I'm walking around, it's snowing now in Sheffield. I used to walk around in the snow, knocking on doors, zero salary, just pure commission. I did it for six months, but I was, I was good at it. And I made, you know, I didn't make great money, but I made, I made enough that it was worthwhile. And I, and I had the opportunity every day to go out and make more as much as I could. And I think going into that, that little window was what then meant that when I was in teaching, I always felt like there was something missing. I think yeah. if I'd have gone straight from uni to that, to teaching, I'm not sure I'd have ever known a different world, but having that exposure to something that could was meritocratic, you know, when I got into recruitment, it took me a while, but once I got my head around it, that I, I did a post about it the other day, the, the getting paid directly based on what you do. I could never go back from that once I, once I tasted it. How... I don't want to go into your world too much in those days, but you were there for a long time. And, and was it a COO you became? How did your how did the, your career trajectory go with that organization? Yeah, so, so I mean, basically was was sort of in recruitment, learning the ropes for probably a little bit over a year, about a year and a half. We, we at that time had a lot of a lot of our market was in the US. Um, mm -hmm. And so we we very early were thinking we're either going to have to do something with this or ignore this opportunity and it felt like we're going to go both barrels so i moved out to california um wow. and basically you know kind of built, built up uh, the bulk of our american business from 
yeah, from, from, from an early base that we had in San Diego. And then you know, we, we built a team in an office in San Diego. We then added an office in, in New York. And then I suppose the evolution of the role was obviously building manager into then running essentially a lot of our kind of key processes and developing really the frameworks and the sort of infrastructure for scalability. And then by that point, we had an office in, in, in Germany, in Berlin. And so it was a, it became then a very broad remit that really encompassed, I suppose, technology, L&D, hiring, marketing, touching all those points. And, and again, that was, you know, absolutely fascinating. It was kind of, okay, that, that for me was very energizing all over again to think this is now about not just how can I be better at this job, but how can we put tools, processes, resources in place to enable more and more people to be successful at this job and faster and more predictably. Um, so that, yeah, so that, that, that basically uh, was, was the, the kind of key trajectory. And then added into that, we, we did a, an interesting sort of bolt-on service that was, I suppose, another part of what Recruit Hub is all about. We, we looked at in, within our niche markets, the opportunity for our customers to actually uh, essentially invest and acquire one another within a niche. We had amazing visibility into a lot of, uh, you know, the kind of opaque, fragmented markets that we worked in. And there were some you know, nice intros that we can make there with a view to M&A, which, which led into then more, more of a focus on kind of what drives business value. Um, and I think that was something that, that's, that's still a big part of what we're doing now at Recruit Hub was, was when, when you had a recruiter's sort of view, which I obviously had, you know, the early years of my career, it was very much comparing people in our market who, who'd built, you know, huge multi-thousand person companies to some of the smaller businesses in those markets and feeling instinctively as you did from a recruitment angle, the people running these smaller business are unsuccessful, right? They haven't built this massive, entity other people have when you then start to get closer to those businesses actually exiting you realize these some of these people have built incredibly profitable businesses they're beautifully run they're niche they've got loyal customers they've got great processes and and they they exit on extremely i mean life-changing terms and so that was an interesting thing you know for somebody very young in their career to start to look at and think you don't necessarily if you put it in recruitment terms you don't have to build michael page um you know, to, to have absolutely life-changing financial results if you build something that is really valuable, right? And that was an interesting thing for us as well. So, yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, that was, I suppose, the broad trajectory. How big did the business get in terms of headcount? Uh, so, so we were, I suppose, we when we, we started out, obviously, it was all organic. So there's no mm. investment. Um, we, we, we had our two offices across the States. We had the office in Berlin. We had the, the HQ, the hub still stayed in the UK. So I suppose probably I, I eventually then stepped out of the business in, I guess that would have been 2018, probably thinking back. Um, so we grew steadily, I suppose, in that intervening period to sort of 30, then 40, probably on the road to 50, something like right. that. So it was, it was like size. small, like boutique hubs effectively globally that you had to bring together. Well, and we diversified across brands as well. So we had three key markets at that point. Um, so from the origins in languages, we then also had additional teams in digital marketing and also in SaaS sales. So recruitment of kind of go-to-market professionals for technology companies in specific niches too. So we had three three defined brands, but that were, were spread across four hubs. Right, right. Um, and then you decided to move on. And was that your own venture next? I think it's... Is it content business you had for a while, or yes, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. Kind of, it's, it's I suppose also a little bit overlaps, not overlaps, but it's linked to I suppose some of the, the work you do with Hopso, right? So, so 
some some of the you know in, in this sort of push for scalability that, that we went on you know when we were kind of turning that corner from being a sort of ragged group of you know eff effective salespeople but really building that into a mature scalable predictable um, yeah. engine part of that was you know included marketing and there was a huge role that content marketing was starting to play in recruitment at that time mm. um, and so so some of the the work that we were doing for marketing it was not only promoting the brand of the agency it was also promoting recruiter brand we also we, we ghost wrote content internally back in 20 whatever it would have been 15 maybe and pushed it out under recruiter linkedin brands so we would we would write articles for them and we would win business off the back of it we would win clients candidates we would get engagement from people that wow. we've been trying to reach through direct channels who would say absolutely spot on that's an issue i've had bang message recruiter we actually got a role open can you help us and we you know we it, we, we had some great success off the back of it and I think basically sort of where I was professionally, I felt that there'd been this fantastically exciting journey to to get the business to a level of maturity where we had a lot of predictability. We had a lot of, you know, the, the infrastructure simply wasn't there when you when you start something from a blank slate. Yeah. And I felt I felt we've we've very we've broken the back of that challenge. From from here on out, it's just about sort of scaling, adding headcount. I really enjoy that build phase. That was something that really for me was was a big motivator. So so yeah, I, I decided. I'm going to switch gears here. I'm going to focus on initially content, and it was producing con content marketing specifically around sort of thought leadership, yeah. um, not in the recruitment space. Um, but basically, I suppose it was that window opportunity between the, the, the content marketing space that the idea for Recruit Hub came about. It was in that period. Right. So how did it eventually start? What was the kind of tipping point that made you go right well i need to do that yeah so so it, it, conversations with my co-founder so so his background he basically was the period that i was in the recruitment industry he was in a, he was working in a hedge fund that hedge right. fund went through absolutely massive growth and a huge part of their growth was technology recruiting machine learning uh quants um data specialists um, all around kind of digitizing their trading processes and 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 his background in there he was an exec director he, he i know him from university he studied economics at, at university and basically caught up and you know he was saying that so much of my work recently has involved hiring we're seeing so many of the top recruiters and headhunters that we work with eventually spin off they'll start their own business when we then go and sort of connect with them we're seeing a sort of strange tail off sometimes in productivity and also I'm recognizing from my standpoint, we want to follow the recruiter that we know fills these jobs, has has the network, has an understanding of exactly what it takes to to, to mm. ace our hiring needs. Not that bothered about where they worked before. It's the recruiter I want to work with. And, and so it was that plus then seeing and, and catching up, I think, with some of these guys and saying they're really rebuilding the wheel here. And from his from his perspective outside the recruitment, he just sort of looked at it and said, this is bizarrely inefficient, right? These guys, their time is money. You know, when they're when they're able to just fire in candidates and really kind of do what they're so good at doing, it's immensely valuable for everybody involved. They make a huge amount of money, but also our organization benefits it's a great yeah. relationship. That's kind of been dented by the fact that they're rebuilding. So it was almost a casual observation. Of why isn't there a Shopify platform that these guys just plug into and bang, they go and do what they do? And I suppose at that point in time, you know, we, we had a look around at the market. And obviously, there, there are some great solutions for people to set up. But there have been some of them around for 20, 30 years. And I think we felt there were there were things that we could definitely improve on. Yeah. And uh, we basically did a couple of focus groups. We did some meetups. And key thing for us was we surveyed a lot of recruitment business owners who were sort of around zero to three years into starting up. And the key thing was how much of your time goes into growing your business. 
and, and the average was around 60%. So, so you know, we're then looking at that thinking, well, are these guys kind of coasting because they're entrepreneurs and they're not putting in the insane hours they used to as recruiters? The absolute opposite. Most of them are like, you know, I'm pretty much every evening, you know, dinner with the family, back to my office, back to my desk. I'll do Saturday mornings, Sunday mornings. But we were looking at, I think, 40% of this time is just not is just going down the drain. It's not going into growing the business. So that was one of the key drivers for us was can, how can we make it more efficient and more effective for people that want to build their own businesses to, to basically unlock their financial goals and their growth goals earlier by removing a big chunk of that friction that's involved in simply rebuilding manually every single component of what's made them successful in the previous business. God, I wish I'd known about you in 2016. <laughs> oh, I wish you'd have been around. I mean, I did, honestly, like, all the things you're saying were things that went through my head, like, you know, and we had Sonovate locked in and we had, we had Bullhorn and that was it. So I've gone from working for a 50 man business with, you know, finance compliance, all the things I needed, especially even, even in the, cause I joined that seven man and was there for five years and we grew that well, but the, the infrastructure was so good because these guys were hydrogen group and floated it and, you know, they, they built the business early around being a big, and I think they're like a hundred heads now at Vanquist, a great company. So, you know, when me and Amma were setting up and, and Anthony at the time, three of us were planning it. It was like, what are we going to do about contracts? What are we going to do about um, terms of business and, you know, payments and payroll and issues. And there's so many things, you know, we were kind of excited by that stuff, but a bit daunted by it as well. Um, but again, we didn't really, we didn't really think about the reality of what it would take. And obviously, we started a different business, but that was still just as just. I was lucky that Amma did take a lot of the brunt of that shit for me, and and let me get. I was basically selling from day one, and on the phones and in meetings, and he did all the operational stuff. I did all I did was write some content on the website and stuff, and that was it. Um, but if I was a solo founder. Fuck me! I mean, setting up a company is—it's not com its not difficult. It's doable. It's anyone can do yeah. it. But it takes a lot of effort. And like you say, if—if if you could build fifty percent more in year one, what impact would that have on your? And that, that's it, right? That's that's—it's the ROI on your time as a founder. And you know, a, a lot of what we—I suppose—spend our time chatting with people about is that—that that initial efficiency of your time as a founder. It, it's a problem that's never going to resolve, right? You're—you're you're always going to have limited time. And it's always going to be a question of how can you best invest that time in the business and in the growth of business? And, and are, you, are you focusing on tasks where you're basically kind of flexing your core muscles, doing what you're really good at doing, which for, for the massive majority of our customer base is client acquisition, it's running actual you know, recruitment delivery, and it's building and scaling teams. That's what they're phenomenally good at. It happens to be that that actually coincides with an enormous amount of what's going to add value to their company and obviously what's going to you know, generate the financial return, right? So they are so well positioned to go and succeed. But it's just, I suppose, the question is, is it a great use of time to perpetually be getting off the horse, you know, to go and investigate what are essentially solved problems across the broader business community? What What's the value? I mean, I, I guess the kind of key thing for us when, when we looked at what's the startup market and the solutions like, you know, before we got going is we felt there, there are some really good businesses whose who's, who's, I suppose approach was very much setting up a business is difficult, complicated, confusing, we'll help you with it. And there was I suppose it's another end of the spectrum, if you like, that was very much kind of setting up a business requires massive amounts of money. You know, we'll, we'll provide some big, heavy investment into your company. And I think we felt 
there's there's probably the, the, the ideal customer that we'd love to work with isn't going to be necessarily in either of those categories, right? Because I think we felt setting up a business isn't that complicated and we, we probably wouldn't thrive as a partner for someone that found the ABCs of like going and registering company or company's house too hard to get the head around. So it's, I think that's the key thing for us is that all of our customers are, are perfectly capable of going and investigating and doing their own research into all these different areas as they pop up, you know, as you mentioned, kind of the, the back office, the payroll, the HR, the, you know, even down to things like, you know, legal structures, right? So a huge amount of our time is spent with founders who are setting up together, you know, making sure that you know, the foundations for their business are strong and solid. The, the None of those things are things they couldn't do. It's just, they can't be in two places. It's opportunity cost. It just comes down to, you know, is, is that the best investment of your time at that stage of your business? And as your business's life cycle kind of evolves, hmm. that that sort of zone in which you're most impactful is always going to be changing. And it's very rarely, I suppose, in that in that other area. So how did you guys, you mentioned you did some focus groups, but how did you structure the business between you and your partner? What was the kind of initial, who did what in the early days? Yeah, so so it was it's a pretty synergistic split to be honest, because I think you know my 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 skill set was very much obviously around the rec- you know the recruitment um, sort of processes, infrastructure guidance, and and sort of advisory with early clients, um, sales and marketing, um, and my co-founder's background is very much in the sort of finance and economic space. So he was he, he led on a lot of those things and development of kind of our finance offering and management basically of our sort of delivery of the finance and back office portion of the business and also he coordinated you know a lot of the work that we do on the investment side we have you know probably i suppose broad numbers maybe sort of 30 percent of our customers have had some kind of capital investment to get them off the ground um and that's been his bag too right and what what was the first iteration of the business like when it first started what was you what was your mvp if you like that managed to get you over the line with with a customer yeah, so so I mean, uh, what, one of the things that for us was massive right from day one and still is was was technology. So we, I think, I've always been hugely passionate about you know not just getting great technology and great automation tools, but getting the best out of those tools. Mm-hmm. And I think recognition that you can give somebody the world's best software, and if they haven't implemented it effectively into a workflow, if it doesn't you know speak to their other tools, if they haven't got a you know process, they haven't put the time into getting it configured. That that's gonna gonna ultimately misfire. So yeah. so we had we had I think day one even our very early kind of iteration of what we grew up now is, um, we 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 made the play that we will invest more in technology than our average customer would if they're doing everything out of their own pocket. So so the whole thing was we know that the tendency is I can shoestring this. I'll get I have Excel file, I have my phone, I get LinkedIn license, I'll be good. And and I suppose our our belief, which I think has been borne out, was. That, of course it works it, it's been proven thousands of times over that it works but it it is a slower road it stores up problems for down the line and there is there is roi in a lot of these automation technology that we believe in passionately they're great partners of ours that we have in our tech stack um so our, our v1 had strong crm partnership automation around things like um sort of multi-sequence drip campaigns and outreach tools um and then digitization of a lot of other business processes that for us were kind of core so you know communications internally development of things like intranets um and obviously you know building the brand and delivering the back office so relatively straightforward stuff but with a heavy lean towards the kind of toolkits and processes that most startup businesses would expect to be able to afford when they're 10 15 heads down the line how did you find getting your first customer on without any track record of doing it 
Like, so you've, you know, it's chicken and egg, isn't it? You've kind of got to get one on. Yeah, to yeah it is. It is. Yes, I mean, we, we, we happened to, it actually was, was less, less challenging than you might anticipate. You know, the position I think was strong from the start where there were people, you know, early phase. I'm, I'm thinking about doing this. I'm looking into what kind of technology mm -hmm. I'm going to need. Um, it seems daunting. I'm also recognizing that I can't be in 99 places at once. The, the solution in its early form um, sold pretty pretty well. Um, we didn't have that friction. Obviously, there was a there was a trust element, right? You know, our customers, but we, we couldn't promise anybody a track record at that point in time. But I think you know we we obviously went pretty in depth in terms of what our roadmap was exactly. You know, what what our customers could expect if they were joining early. Um, and luckily, they all they all um, they had a lot of success, and uh, it's built from there. And in terms of your acquisition strategy to get go out and get customers, what was that? How did you manage to get the early days and the people on board? Yeah, we, we, we use LinkedIn. We use LinkedIn a lot. So a lot, a lot of LinkedIn uh, sort of lead gen stuff. You know, we had a lot of early resources around building, scaling, recruitment business, yeah. sharing ideas, sharing expertise. You know, some of our kind of, I suppose, founding beliefs really uh, was a big one. Um, we had some good word of mouth early on as well, which was super helpful. Um, and then ultimately, you know, longer term, we've, we've scaled it up more on the marketing side, but that was it really. It was pretty straightforward. I mean, early days, it was, I was, I was the only person in the business running everything on a daily basis, pretty much A to Z. So built the website, wrote the website, built the ad campaigns, structured the ad campaigns, ran the ad campaigns, followed up on the leads, did the demo, launched the product, the entire cycle. So it was, it was, it was, it was a full plate early doors. Um, and was your business partner full time or was he still working? He was still working. Yeah. He was still working at that time. Yeah. So, so kind of a couple of hours with him on the way into work. Yeah. So I'm thinking uh, he, his role was probably less intensive than as, as yours, right? In terms of yeah, like, definitely early on, it certainly was. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And how long did did that last until he came, or has he come on board full time? Yeah. So, so, so he he eventually then quit his day job, if you like, and he was in the business full time for a little bit over a year, and and right. did a lot of the heavy lifting on sort of building a lot of our processes up for scalability um, again mostly around finance and technology but the, the other massively important contribution that he, that he has made and continues to make is his a, lo a lot of his background in the in the sort of um, the trading space was around amalgamation of data and data sources so that's a, that's a really really critical part of what we're doing which I guess is, is sort of the interesting bit for us about where we're at as a business I mean we're, we're, we're we're obviously super happy with with where we've got to and where our customers have got to, but we consider really that our platform is in, in first gear, right? This is like V1 of what we intend to build. And a huge portion of that comes from data. And that comes from, I suppose, the recognition that as a business owner, you have all sorts of important areas of the business that you want to be keeping an eye on. A lot of the time, the data that you'll go and investigate, you'll run reports, is gonna teach you a handful of actionable things and a lot of the times, if you're not on top of that data, you'll miss those actionable things and ultimately you only realize them when they have become a problem and they become an issue, right? And so the, one of the things that we're, is a massive portion of our roadmap this year is, is, is basically centralizing that reporting and that insight capability across the entirety of the business uh, sort of function areas. So there's, there's obviously finance, there's marketing, there's technology, you've got user performance, but you've also got user sort of use and engagement ROI on technology platforms. There's so many data signals that obviously we as a centralized platform provider have access and, and visibility into that we can now start to automate for our customers to give them a sort of early warning system of anything that is actionable in different areas in their business um and you know that's i suppose it's it's 
inspired by a lot of the work that was done in, in his finance teams. Mm. So he's been massively important in developing that. Uh, but also in the recruitment space, you know, there've been some brilliant game-changing tools like Cube19 yeah. um, in Bullhorn. You, know, you can just see the incredible power of having your important data really well and sort of engagingly visualized. But, you know, Cube is brilliant. But what Cube does, obviously, is just look at what's going on in the CRM. I mean, Cube can't tell you if you've run out of money. You know, Cube can't tell you if there's some horrific issue with, you know, uh, elsewhere in the business's data. It's only able to look at the bit that it looks at, which is phenomenal, but it's not as a, you know, busy business owner, right? So what are those levers that you're looking to, if I was working within your portfolio and you know ideal world what are the what dashboards would you give me uh so so finance key one so so important kind of information around you know your cash forecasting is massive um but also things like you know abil your ability really easily to just visualize your historic trends your ability to be able to cross-reference your financial position with your sales funnel so you can see okay this data on its own may be either comforting or alarming but it has to be taken in consideration with what else is going on over here in terms of our pipeline but then you've got also the data behind your pipeline in terms of your recruiter activity so you also you know we, we can give people granularity down to you know linkedin response rates right and and the exciting thing for us is to be able to then automate all of the 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 information sort of uh pushes through to managers on the back of that his, here are the people in your organization that are suboptimal in their use of this technology. You know, they need training. They need to partner or do a session with these people whose work here is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, but the, the other piece for us that's really important is, is around the actual equity value of the business itself. So, you know, a massive chunk of our, of our founder community, even if they're not targeting in the near term a sort of, you know, race for an exit, there is a real you know goal in having obviously set up independently to build a business that that's going to be a transferable asset it's going to have some value you know to sell all or part of it down the line and uh, a key thing for us is that you know the valuation metrics huge portion of that lives in your data right and it's and it's very rarely scrutinized with anything like the degree of depth that it would be if you were you know engaging with investors or with a potential acquirer um, so a lot of what we, we have in our roadmap is around helping people to be able to understand as they build the business, how are my different decisions impacting the value profile of my business and how are we trending in different areas and when do those different areas start to become important? When should I be focusing on them? Because I think what, what we've also seen a lot of, and this was a big thing that we, we learned in our focus groups, was a, a huge amount of the recruitment startup ventures that succeed from a commercial standpoint can can follow opportunity in a very sort of revenue-driven opportunistic manner, right? If it feels like it's going to be profitable in the next six months, we do it. We hire so and so. We add this division. We open an office. We hire, you know, and and deviating away from any kind of defined strategy towards an endpoint where you're saying we've really looked at, ranked, and targeted all of the key drivers of equity value, and we make our decisions steering as much as we possibly can towards this goal. That's 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 often missed in the early scuffle of building a business and often then by the time the business is big enough for people to start having meaningful conversations around equity value there's so much of the business that can't be retro engineered it's done it's built it can't be rebuilt I and mean, some of it can obviously be adjusted over time but it's i think it's pretty common in recruitment to see people that are you know getting to a point where they feel this has been a hell of a journey to build this business i'm starting to get ready to think about you know cashing out to some degree and then realizing it's it's not it's not just just 
over the horizon if I want to really maximize it there's suddenly years more work that I need to put in to get the absolute optimal outcome whereas building a business on a platform where you're regularly being signposted you're you know scoring highly here this is an area you're going to need to develop this is going to dent your valuation down the line that's another massive what are the, what are the areas you think people get wrong then so if you imagine that scenario was real someone's like you know I've been going for seven years eight years you know I'm now starting to think I want to exit and you're like but you you know what what do you typically see that they've done that that means they're not moving in the right direction it's, it's, it's a it's a huge question um I mean so so I mean there are certain drivers that are obviously very well known right so so the the predictability of your revenue forecasting which is why you know typically a contract heavy business is going to going to be valued yeah. more highly than a perm business um i think one of the really really important ones that is very low down a lot of people's radars just because of the nature of founding a business is is, is the extricability of the major shareholder from daily operation massive succession planning essentially so so you're saying come in and buy my shares you get my company you get my profits here's my data to support why my profits are you know robust in my forecasts but also there's my role within the business so how have i developed my team how have i made this a business where i can step out someone else can step in but there's also you know, there's a thousand and one things there's you know there's the the, the concentration and spread across client portfolio there's also the penetration of those accounts um you know there's also the the the, the there's a huge strategic issue around diversification versus niche you know so so where the business should trend so i guess if, if we look at an example where this is all gone wrong you've built a business where you've pursued short-term cash and profitability you haven't penetrated any particular customer account particularly you've got a very transactional sort of piecemeal business you probably work with a huge volume of clients your compliance is probably pretty weak. Your relationships with those customers is not particularly robust. Your your processes are not well documented. They're not watertight. And ultimately, you build a business that if you're in there every day, firefighting, fixing, you know, geeing people up, reconfiguring incentives, you can whack it along and it generates nice output for you as the founder. But as a transferable sort of profit engine, it's, it's probably, you know, it's potentially hugely lower value than maybe you walk around in your head thinking and those are all pointers that if you work to a strategic plan from day one obviously you can target you can deliberately start to invest your time and your money and your resources towards very defined goals very 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 good answer very clear i feel like i've never, <laughs> never no one's ever explained it that clearly to me um it's funny i had greg savage on uh you know on one recent episode and we talked about that you know why does he get involved with, with with organizations typically in australia but all over the world and he said most often it's when a business is scaling but not profitably so you know they're they're seeing a, a lot of top line revenue increase and the headcount but they're not making any money at the end of it um is that something you see as well and and, and what i asked him but i always like to get more you know focus group data is what do you believe is a good net profit margin that, that you should that you tell your clients to be aiming for if they're on that trajectory that long term they're trying to they're going to look to sell yeah so, so it's, it's 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 a really tough really tough question to to answer and i guess the key things that we, and it's one of the parts of what we're building and why what we're trying to build is, is complex is because the answer to that question is very dependent on where you are in your journey right so it's another key thing that in terms of our technology and what we're developing is to make sure that it's really clear to people there are certain sort of elements of your valuation scorecard that you want to be focusing on now that you want to be focusing on within the next six months some you want to focus on the next 24 months 
and some that really you shouldn't be even considering as a target for now, right? So profitability being one of those, I think that's the key thing is understanding where is it that, you know, that comes into play because early on, if you're desperately trying to build your revenue numbers so you can eventually unlock a you know, large EBITDA number, then then worrying about your, your your margins and your profit margins and your trends in that area during your growth phase obviously is 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 super difficult. Then I suppose you come down to your overall profitability percentage. It's tough, right? It depends on the size of business. Twenty person business versus a seven thousand person business can be wildly different numbers. So that's another key thing that is important for people is to also understand. You know, it's going to be your EBITDA multiple that is the important thing. It's the building of a solid profit base uh, necessarily versus focusing on a sort of target percentage. Is another key bit of it. Um, but yeah, it's a. Uh, we could we could have a much longer conversation around this. Do you have any like boundaries though, where you think like a business shouldn't go below a certain number of net profit at any point, or is a? Do you have any kind of like guideline brackets you give to your customer? We have some, yeah, and 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 I, I guess the key thing that that's also probably worth flagging across our customer base is that they're not applicable in all cases, and that's basically because our customer base is so broad. So, I mean, our customer base, some are very much on a deliberate growth journey with exit as a target, but some of our customers are essentially solopreneurs. They've got zero interest in, you know, um, selling their business. Yeah. And, and, and some of them, you know, the reason they've set up on our platform has been because they've, they've reached a point, I think the pandemic was a massive kind of factor in this where they've, they've experienced for the first time, I've actually recruited independently now 360. I've done that completely under my own steam of one business I filled business yeah I've been at home I'm starting I've been, I've been at home yeah. I, I haven't had somebody coach me over the line with this deal I've started to actually consistently you know generate revenue completely independently and they've started to feel like that's that's what I want but I want to do that completely within my own parameters I don't want to be accountable to anybody for you know a um for, for, for my schedule or for where I'm working from so in that case you know it's a totally different set of goals that would apply to that business um but yeah i suppose probably across our client base maybe they're they make up maybe 20 percent or so maybe less is there a type of person or company you don't want to work with is there a you know because you'll have a selection process right is there something that you yeah. you listen to and you're like you know what you're not quite right for us for whatever reason um yes yeah, i suppose it's probably two things so so definitely in terms of our business profile we are not we're not well suited to to very very kind of high volume thin margin work that's probably one thing so kind of you know really sort of high volume temp stuff is not our bag um outside of that it's it's, it's probably less about not wanting to work with somebody than than us our process in terms of you know evaluation it, it's not an interview process it's it's very genuine it's genuinely kind of a mutual assessment of the viability of what the founder is going to go on and attempt to do and so i suppose we've got a risk tolerance in there that we're comfortable with or not comfortable with. And I suppose what, what falls outside that tends to be if we can see what, what we believe to be too big a gap between somebody's professional success and employment and what they're going to go and do as an independent founder. And it's, and it's never to say that they won't be successful or they can't do it. But for us, that's kind of, I suppose, the key thing that we're looking at is are you going to go and essentially, you know, do what you have proven to yourself that you can do consistently and reliably in your new business venture. So if someone says, for example, I think the, the kind of key thing tends to be like large businesses. If somebody's managed a multi-million account and they've had a bunch of people on their team and they've got an amazing database and a huge brand and a big sort of delivery function, 
they may have done fantastically well, but jump from that to then go and be coalface, got to go and do BD. You haven't got a huge brand behind you, got no case studies, you've got no sexy marketing materials from day one. You've got to go and build it and you've got to then generate revenue independently. That's a huge kind of cliff of, of experience. So that's probably the key area where we'd see you know, somebody that's potentially got a great background in recruitment that may not right for us is if there's too big a gap between what they've been doing and what they would do. And why is that? Because you don't believe you've got the time or resources to get them there or because you don't believe they can do it or what, what's the, what would be the reason that wouldn't work? Because, because I think so, some one, it comes down to our commercial model, right? So, so we are, we are completely shared success. So we are only and exclusively paid by our customers when they are succeeding. Yeah. So we, so a key, a key consideration of ours is what's the likelihood of that success. The other kind of key piece for us is around shareholding. So, so we do provide you know, we have investment solutions for customers if they need some kind of capital to get them started. But we only work with people where they're even with capital investment going to be the very comfortable majority shareholder of their business. Yeah. So that, that that kind of plays into the cash runway that's required. And the cash runway obviously is usually shortened by a very, very predictable short path to traction. So yeah. that's, I suppose, you know, when you put all those factors together, somebody coming in saying, there's so many unknowns here. Am I going to be able to win business? Do I have, you know, maybe not have the network. They're going to be spending a lot of their time hunting around, trying to figure out where they're going to win business from and how it's all going to hang together and ultimately how they're going to generate revenue. There are too many variables in there for us to feel confident that we can say we can deliver on this with you. We're backing this, you know, to make it successful because we've got to make a commitment on our side that we are, you know, all in to help the client succeed, right? We're not simply saying, use the platform, pay us every month. If you go belly up, tough shit, here's your bill. It's a, it's a different kind of model. Yeah, so it's a pure, yeah, it's a contingent model in a way. You get paid if they get paid, right? And uh, exactly. is, there yeah. a, is there a deal in there though that if there's a certain point that there's no money, like you walk away and shake hands or whatever and say, this didn't work, is it? Yeah, so we, we we normally have some 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 sort of thresholds that would agree with the founder right at the start that if this legitimately you know does not gain traction, no harm, no foul. Yeah, yeah. And, and we what, set those with the founder. How many people do you think you speak to? Or you might know this data straight away, but how many people do you speak to in order to acquire a or to to help start a business? What's the ratios of initial conversation to partner? Yeah, good 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 question. So initial conversation, but it's probably maybe in the region of 10%, something right. like that. But but I think, you know, th th there's a huge element to like the data there's really muddy because we've also got a lot of people where we've had conversations where, you know, this this may well happen down the line. We chatted to people we've launched a business with them more than a year later. Yeah. You know, th th there's there's a lot here. We're very, very kind of... It's time is massive. Time is massive. Time is massive. Yeah. Mm. Time I mean, is massive. Yeah, it's probably rare you get people that are like, I'm absolutely ready to go now. Like it's this kind of you do this due diligence while you're working, and typically don't you? Yeah, yeah, and 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 I think yeah, as you said, like timing's huge. Whether it's kind of you know financial, are you in the right place to do this? Are you in the right life space to do this? Are you doing this for the right reasons? Do you need to sort of stick around while you're working to see if there's something that's going to sort of change the dial in terms of whether this becomes the right path? Um, so yeah, those conversations can 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 take a while. And I think you know, a massive, massive part of what we do is chatting with people who've got very, very, very little information around this whole topic. That's a key thing. You know, they're just like, would I like to run my own company? Sure. Like, I've no idea how much it costs. I've no idea how long it takes. I've no idea what normal looks like. I've no idea what I should expect in my first 30, 60, 90 days. I don't know if I've got enough money to do it. I don't know how much it's going to cost me. I don't know if I need an investor. 
you know, uh, that's a, that's a kind of colossal part of our early conversation is simply filling in those blanks. And then the second part of what we do is actually with everybody where we feel there's there's some opportunity here, there's some real synergy. We will build a financial forecast based around that individual. We'd say here is you know a, a five year P and L forecast that's based on data and projections that we believe are really viable. And so massive bit of that is being able to say, okay, now you've got what you need to go and seriously consider this because you probably haven't if you're just thinking i want to go for it it's pretty rash it's much more helpful to be able to say now i've got something that black and white i can put next to staying in my job taking another similar job yeah 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 versus going and doing this and i can look at exactly so you'll do I'm all having. of that as part of the discovery that perhaps won't even turn out in them working with you yeah yeah i mean we, we obviously we invest our time while well, i, I I like to think we invest our time sensibly, but yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's really difficult to, to to build a partnership on foundations where you haven't got that. And that doesn't become any kind of, you know, goals or metrics that we would beat anybody over the head with. But the goal for us, it's so easy to build a model and say, look, there's you doing 400K, you hire five people, they each do 200K, boom, you've got an amazing business. In reality, it has to be built around what's yeah. not just what's possible what's likely given track record given you know things like restrictive covenants pretty much everybody we work with has got some level of restrictions we've got to work around those so we've got to factor in something which says if this is all you achieve are the outcomes still exciting is it still worth doing if those two things check out like the model is it's not pie in the sky it's real it's doable we've, we've always done lots of this we're confident this is this is this is something that you can do and the outcomes still are very appealing that's usually obviously where we get you know a bit more bit about it and Go up through the gates. See, I mean, we're nearly an hour now, and I've got I've got quite a bit I want to talk to you about. So I hope you don't mind if we we run over a little bit. But we um, like Jez Heard rings a bell for me. Just as you're talking, he's just you know I had him on the show earlier this year. Was it early last year? I can't remember when it was. I think it was early last year, wasn't it? He um, you know, he did what did he build half a million quid in six months or something? But he, he'd only been in recruitment a couple of years. The guy had no idea what he was doing when he started. And he was so open about it. I imagine for you, he was one of them where you think he's got such raw potential, but he needs direction in different areas. And I, I, he did a really nice post, like, you know, saying how grateful he was of you last year. Um, and I've worked with Jez this year and his brand is now, you know, incredible. He's hilarious, but he's also really intelligent with it now. And he's he puts out some content that really challenges recruiters thinking and, and gets them I know he's got a stream of inbound opportunities of, of potential recruiters, which is typically the hardest thing for people to do is attract experienced people. And he's, he's able yeah. to do that for such a start, small startup. So if you cast your mind back to when you met Jez and, and, you know, did you expect him to be what he's been? Did you see that at the early days? He, I mean, he, he, so Jez was an interesting one. Jez, Jez popped up on our radar and said, I'm starting a business. I've stumbled across you guys. I've got an offer in hand from an investor, you know, Show, show me what you got. Let's see. And we, we had a chat with him and we kind of looked, you know, we talked into a platform, looked at his sort of proposal and you know, kind of said, look, take my sales hat off, chuck it in the bin. Whether you work with us or not, I don't think that's a good structure for you. I think that's something that you'll probably kick yourself. But for, I don't think it was quite right for him at the time for a bunch of different reasons. He was going to be a minority shareholder. He was only going to be able to ratchet up his shareholding if he achieved some targets that I thought were pretty questionable. So, you know, we just said, look, I think if you're going to do this, you should own the company. Uh, you know, majority shareholding day one is absolutely foundational. It's everything you need for you know, a thousand and one reasons. Um, but obviously, we dug into his background. We dug into kind of where he'd worked. We took references, and you know, the the the, the 
yeah, I suppose, did we expect him to do what he did? You know, a million quid in his first year of, of running a company? No. Um, which is, I mean, we've had other businesses that have done similar numbers. You know, had several businesses that cleared a million in their first 18 months and, and sort of scaled, you know, teams in that time period as well. But, I mean, obviously, there is a pretty unique individual, uh, like always, always thinking, always questioning, always looking for better ways to do it. I mean, he pushes us, right? He's pushing, you know, technology and ideas to us regularly saying, what about this? Have you thought about this? Can, you know, we, we get some sort of feedback or ideas around, you know, leveraging this strategy. So is 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 a, is a, is a really interesting guy who's, who's, I think, got incredible potential. I think we were very confident he'd do well, for sure, or we wouldn't have gone through with it. Uh, it the numbers he'd done, even in his short stint of recruitment, were very impressive. And it was cold desk. And it was, I suppose, you know, it was coming from a business that we knew a little bit about. And we knew yeah. that it wasn't being spoon fed. Um, and he, he was very transparent with us and said, look, you know, two things that I bring to the table, huge work ethic, I will absolutely graft. And I will also, you know, basically, I'm not interested in people telling me how to do things. I'm massively focused on finding my own, you know, route to, to success. And I will, you know, think my way around problems and I will smash them with brute force if I have to. Um, so no, it's been, it's been phenomenal. It's been an amazing person to work with. Yeah, he's, I, I love the guy and he's got, he's, he's got a huge future ahead of him. He's, he stands out, you know, across the whole market. Whenever I talk to people, I get a lot of people say that episode with that jazz guy that, or that Welsh guy. He comes up a lot, and and there's only a handful of people that you know stand out that might that. So he's done, he's done him remarkably well. Random question, but have you ever met someone and said no to them, and they've gone on and done well, and you've got it wrong, and you think, "Fuck, I should have took them on." Has that ever happened to you? Good question. Uh, I d- not off the top of my head. No, I don't think so. No, I mean there've been a few people I think where we would have liked to work with them, but there were a bunch of different kind of things yeah. that didn't come together at the right time. Yeah. But there's no, there's yeah, there's nobody like internally where like Jesus, that guy. Well, that girl got away from us and we, we made the wrong yeah. move. I don't think so so far, no. Wow. It's bound to happen, but no, luckily. No, good track record, good strike rate. Yeah. I always talk about mistakes I've made and people are like, so, you know, I'm happy to talk about the fact that Aaron Hawthorne from Hoxo is joining the Recruit Hub, right? He's uh, he's launching his own business um, and I'm proud of him. IXL, I think it's going to be called and he's going to, you know, he's going to do really well. But Aaron first came into my business and interviewed straight after Hisham left in 2019 and I rejected him. I just didn't, something about him I wasn't sure about. I was like, I, I don't know. I just, I wasn't sure we'd click. I couldn't put my, my finger on it, but I was like, I like him saying all the right things, but something just didn't feel right. And then we said no. And he, he went, but what Aaron then went on and did, and, you know, he, he constantly kept in touch. He shared leads with us. He had like people, he's always like, if you're still hiring, I know this person's leaving and blah, blah, blah. And, yeah. and I rang him back up about a month later. And I was like, I've made a mistake here. Like, would like you to come back in. He said, no, I've took a job now. And I was like, fuck. And I knew, I knew I'd made an error. Um, and uh, I think it was about a good year. Yeah. 2020 in the pandemic, he actually come and bought my product as a recruiter. He bought the Academy, did the Academy. And then at the end of it, we were like, this guy's, you know, he's got, to, got to work for us. And, and, you know, he's done an amazing job for us for two years and two and a half years. And now he's joining, you know, and, I was delighted when he told me. Obviously, I felt, you know, there's a little bit like shit, you know, you're losing a good asset, but, you know, that's business. And if you've done a great job with someone and they've done a good job for you and they're going on to do something that matters to them, I'm like, I've got no issue. I did it. You know, who am I to hold someone back? Um, but it, Yeah, and I, and I guess, you know, he's he's going to he's gonna continue to be a really powerful ambassador for, for your brand as well, right? You know, it's so, so powerful what 
your 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 business does for people. Jez is a great example of it, but I know there's yeah. tons more. And head- Kyle Kyle Winterbottom in your group as well, who's one of the best I've I've worked with. I mean, he's incredible. Yeah, yeah. To be voted in the top 100 most influential people in data, not in recruitment, in data. It's, ba- it's, it's, it's basically it's basically being appointed onto your own Dream 100 client list. Yes, yeah. just it's not. He literally, if he, if he, he, he literally farts on LinkedIn and, and he has all these like <laughs> chief data officers comment, and I'm like, fuck, I wish I was on the top 100 in recruitment. I don't know how I do that. Um, but no, there's been some, you know, with you guys specifically, and it, and it wasn't like we didn't even know each other at the time. It was just that we both gravitated towards similar a similar audience, right? Um, it just shows, you know, I, I think what I see in in the modern recruitment business and what you see is is quite similar. And I'm, you know, I'm excited for what Aaron's going to go on to do because if he follows the methodology that we've built and trained him on and and all the things he knew anyway, with the support from you guys, I've, I've got every faith he'll, he'll go well. So so the partnership, you know, we've got a partnership. If if people work with you, then, you know, I've, I've we've done a deal where they get a you know, preferential rate on our academy, which is exciting. Um, and uh, obviously as well, you're going to become, you know, you guys are sponsoring us this year as, a, as, a, as part of the show. So if someone did, listen and thought i'm really interested in in edmund and that business i want to have a chat like just as a as a final question what's what what will they likely expect so what would be a typical process they reach out to you online whatever what happens next yes i mean basically the way the way that we normally explain to people is is we we try and share as much information as possible on us as early as possible so that the, the, the person considering this is pretty much in the driving seat, right, from the beginning as early as we can. So we normally have an initial chat over the phone, just kind of break the ice, explain about us, high level helicopter sort of view of our business and understand obviously what they're you know thinking of doing. If if there's kind of interest on both sides at that point, we normally do a platform walkthrough. So we literally would jump on screen share and we run everybody through the kind of A to Z of look, this is us, this is what we provide. We give them a visual tour of the platform, the tools, tech stack, all the resources, how everything works, high level overview of commercials. The goal of that is kind of just like here's as much information as as we can give you to make sure that you don't you know have convers- conversations around building a business can be pretty long. Uh, there's a lot to get through, and we just don't want anybody at the tail end of that to go super interesting conversation. Sadly, your platform is you know shit and 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 uh, mispriced or whatever. So that's kind of us cards on the table, beginning of the conversation. On the back of that, if there's still ongoing interest, is when we would do the business modeling. Yeah. And that's where we'd say, you know, we want a bit of information from you around what you're thinking. Tell us about your background. Tell us all the data points that we're going to need to know. We then spin up an initial financial forecast and we'll have a session with the founders where they'll go through that and we'll say, cool, here's what your data is showing us. Now let's sense check it. Now let's also stress test it. Let's see what if we dial this number up, dial this number down. And the outcome of that typically is answers to pretty much all of their questions around the financial side. You know, where are we going to be in terms of personal earnings? Do I need an investment? If so, how much? If I took investment, what am I looking at in terms of sort of equity splits, ranges? Um, you know, what if I were to self-fund this? And I, I guess, you know, that that's pretty much our process on the back of that. If everybody says, look, this business model is exciting. The founder thinks it's achievable. We believe that they can do it based on our experience. Then, you know, we, we sort of go into mutual DD mode um, and, and look to put the business together. But um, so what's the fastest, is, let's say, every, all the stars aligned? How quick could it? I mean, we know it could take a while because of all sorts. But what's the quickest yeah. turnaround you could set someone up? Well, we've launched people on the platform in seven days. Wow. Um, but but the, the, we typically sort of guide about 30 days is kind of reasonable. And the longest portion of that usually is brand build. Um, it's it's development of, you know, logo, style guides, color palettes, 
pulling copy together for the site, site iterations. That's typically the main thing. And there's quite a bit of technology learning as well that people need to go through. But if you know, we've had people that just rocked up and said, look, I, I want the full platform, but I need to be, you know, I've got I've got customers, you know, basically up my sleeve and I need to get going. I need to be able to have an entity and be able to rock and roll within a short period of time. And we can just have a sort of get the lights on, get the shop front built. Uh, we've done that inside a week. And my final question, by the way, I love that. And and it, you know, it makes sense. And I will I will end with this because I don't want to keep you forever. Um, what's your plan? Like, what do you what are you trying to do? Because this is all about everyone else, right? This whole yeah your business is literally about building other people's dreams right and and ensuring that they are on track and selfless but obviously there's a there's a commercial element to to the recruit hub that you're you're building so what i don't know if you're open about this to people and when they join you but if i was joining you i'd be like well, what where are you going like are you going to sell recruit hub in five years and then i've got someone else at the other end of the phone or what's the vision if you can be open enough to what, what are you trying to treat the create yeah, so some of we've got we've got no immediate plans to to sell business, none. Um, you know, I think we we really genuinely feel we're like in the first five percent of what we want yeah. to do. I think that there's there's so much that we can unlock as our community grows. You know, we've now got founders, we've got people in the US, we've got you know people in UAE, we've got people in Europe, we've got people in the UK. They've come from all sorts of backgrounds. They come from big businesses, small businesses. They've been in startups before. They've been managing directors. They've been I don't know super billers. They're in all sorts of different verticals. They do exec search, they do contract, they do talent as a service. You know, there's a massive amount of expertise that our founder community can really start to, un, you know, to, to share, but that needs to be structured, that needs to be unlocked, and that needs to be, you know, presented to them in a way that's digestible. We've got the data and technology side of what we're doing. There's enormous amounts of business process automation that we're excited to do. You know, basic things like commission calculation. We've got data because of our platform on everybody's commission structures, all of their sales billings, all of their starters, zero reason that that isn't a, a man, an owner of a business simply going approve, approve, approve. That can be beautifully visualized back to consultants. So there's, there's a whole world of, of, of opportunity for us in terms of building. Um, I think there's also just the scalability of of our delivery of expertise, right? So we're in the we, we just hired a customer success manager to come over and join us from Bullhorn. Um, you know, she's leading basically the kind of early phase of building out a, a whole set of processes and platforms which are around being able to to better share and scale the expertise that we share with 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 businesses. So long term, you know, it's 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 more of the same. Yeah. It's giving people, it's improving the product. That's really what we're passionate about. It's just, I think really the, the vision we've had from day one is that it absolutely is feasible to build a platform where going and building a business independently, you know, sellotape it all together out of your bedroom, bit by bit, negotiate with all the suppliers, the absolutely everything that happens in the company on your own and try and build and hire at the same time. That should become as obsolete a methodology as it would be to try and start a recruitment business without LinkedIn. Now, there is an opportunity that we see to build a platform. It's like it's it should be an absolute no-brainer. That's, that's my that's argument. Awesome. That's my argument. You know, same thing. You can go out there and you can pick up the phone and you can just work that way, sending DMs and posting jobs. You can make shitloads of money doing that. There's no doubt. But fuck me, it's a better job and a much bigger opportunity if you tap into the likes of LinkedIn branding as well as that. For sure. You know, it's it's a different planet. If you if you look at Jez and Kyle and you know what Aaron's done and what I've done and plenty of others, thousands of others. They're opening up a world that wasn't possible before they did this. Just like, you know, what's possible when you've got that support? What's possible when you've got the right roadmap? What's possible when you spot problems early or, or spot opportunities early and actually make those changes in your business before it becomes too late? 
and, and I think there's also like to, to a degree, there's an enjoyability factor as well. Like we, we you know, yeah. we're always focused on the financials and the ROI, but you know, it's really the same in your world too, right? People that are able Community. to build this beautiful brand where they're known, their outreach is essentially warm. Uh, you know, they've got referrals. It's such a more enjoyable way to to to, to do your business development. That's obviously what all your customers experience. And what I what I haven't even mentioned about yours is the community element because if you like Aaron's joining now, ordinarily Aaron would be sat there in his bedroom in London working and with no colleagues in a on his own. And and that you know, I think there's a difference between working remotely in a company and working remotely on your own. Like I'm, I said this to Aaron last week. I said you're so used to having however many meetings with Hoxo people a week plus you've got meetings all day with client prospects. You're going into a world remotely where you you might have nothing in your diary for the first month and then it's going to, but at least with Recruit Hub, you've got, you've got colleagues effectively. You're not, you're not, you're none of you work for the same firm, but I'm sure you share and collaborate and help each other. And, you know, you can run community events and there's, sure. there's, we do, we do, we do. there's collaboration yeah. there. The, the, uh, yeah, and, and, and that's really, really important, right? And that's important when you get to sort of advanced stages of your business where you think, I want to go and meet somebody that's business is at 10 headcount and ask them, is this technology valuable? This gamification solution, what do you think? Pros and cons, should I buy it? Is it worth it? You know, can I have a look at, I don't know, your 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 interview methodology because ours is a bit patchy. We haven't bolted it down, nailed it yet. You know, there's so much learning, you know, as you grow the business, obviously, but even mm. early on, like there's 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 a there's a pretty important mental health aspect to it. You know, yeah. going and building a business is, is is tough. It's really tough and, it's, and it can be massively lonely. And if you do it from your own house, You've got nobody telling you to get up. Literally, you've gone from a world where your your kind of recruitment job is super gamified. Everybody's cheerleading you. You're on a leaderboard. Everybody's watching every move. You've got somebody that nudges you if you're not putting in the, the, the sort of, you know, your, your general activity volumes aren't quite where they need to be. So suddenly you're in a world potentially cares at all. No one even knows you're there, like, unless no maybe your parents, right? So, so I think that can be very, very lonely, and that, you know, that's a big part of what you know we want to work to do now. We're we're building in a cohort structure where a lot of our founders who are kind of at similar phases of their growth journey are going to have a chance to be grouped together in structured sort of pods, even if it's around like you know sharing ideas around motivation, day structure, you know, little things like that. They can be absolutely make or break, and they can also, again, back to the enjoyability. It's not just whether or not you generate the outcome you ultimately want, but there's no point in going and being phenomenally successful if you don't enjoy it, if you're overworked, if you're stressed, if your home life collapses. So there's so much to be gleaned from working with people experiencing this really tough journey, because the rewards are there and they are massive, but it, there's a lot of bumps potentially along the way, right? You know what? You that that ending is great because it just shows there's so much scope for your business to tap into different areas. There's so much scope for change and growth, and you know, and that's just at the community level. Never mind the technology level and the and the global, you know, how many people are out there doing this and thinking it's it's just phenomenal. So although I'm I'm excited to be partnered with you guys. I think you're an incredible brand that, that see the world in the same way. So um, here's to a good 2023. Um, if anyone has enjoyed listening to this and wants to reach out even if they're not ready but they just want to ask a few questions is linkedin i'll obviously tag you in in this on linkedin but is that the best place or is there another way you'd prefer people to reach out yeah linkedin's good linkedin's absolutely fine yeah yeah. all right i'll make sure you're tagged edmund we're going to get you back on the show in the future without a doubt probably towards the back end of this year let's talk about let's let's really think about the growth of of your business and also what we see in the marketplace and we can recap towards the back end of 23 um I wish you the best of luck. I want to be a part of it and uh, let's go get it. Awesome. Yeah, no, thanks, Sean. Delighted, excited for the partnership and uh, catch up soon. 
Thank you, as always, for listening to today's show. I truly, truly hope that you got value from it. That's the only reason I take time every week is to ensure that my audience, future and existing recruitment owners are learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. Today's episode is brought to you by Hoxo Media. I am the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media, and we are the world's leading content marketing and personal branding agency for recruitment businesses specifically. So we are working with over 200 agencies and 2,000 recruiters right now, both managing the brands, producing content, building written video podcast content for niche recruitment agencies all over the world, as well as coaching at a desk level individual recruiters in your businesses how to be better on LinkedIn that's how to brand themselves that's how to produce content that's how to use the opportunity on LinkedIn to get traffic to their profiles and turn that into business we're coaching people all over the world every single day if any of that sounds of interest please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me Sean Anderson a personal message on LinkedIn and would love to talk to you I'll see you soon